Well, uh, you've probably heard this phrase used before by somebody. Timing is everything. You hear this before? It, it is kind of a cliche, but if you actually think about it, it is incredible how powerful being at the right place at the right time really is. So this works on so many levels. So think of like finances. If you were like to ask somebody, man, what is one of the best financial decisions you could have made this last 20 years? You know, if you're thinking about like investing, probably most people would be like, oh man, I wish I caught Apple early or Amazon. That would have changed the game. You know what the best stock market investment you could have made in the last 20 years was? Monster energy drinks. That's right. The Monster Beverage Company would have been one of the best financial decisions you could have made. If you timed it right, if you invested $10,000, you would have $11 million now from that investment. You would have crushed Amazon and Apple just from timing that right. Now, it works with sports too. Some of us are old enough in here to remember that magical moment when Michael Jordan pulled off what is now referred to as the shot. This was the last few seconds of a conference finals game and right at the last moments at the buzzer, he drains this miracle shot that set him on the trajectory to become the GOAT. Now, just a few weeks ago, the Broncos pulled off their own miracle here where right at the buzzer, they pulled off a field goal to win against the Bills, proving that there is a God. So it was many years ago that I actually walked into a random apartment in Springfield, Missouri. This is the exact apartment I walked into one random Friday night. And a little lo and behold, I run into this girl I had never met before, didn't know anything about. And that girl would go on to become my wife, Nicole, now of over 10 years and two children together. And I have thought many times, yeah, I've thought many times like, what if I was late? Or what if she left early that night and how important that timing was? And I have thought often about how lucky she is that that all worked out for her. <laughs> thought about that many times. Now, in the same way that being at the right place at the right time works really well, it works the other way too, though. You can be in the wrong place at the wrong time too. So I was talking about the money thing. If you invested $11 million into the stock market in 1929, you would have lost $10 million of that in a few short years from that famous stock market crash that happened there. I was driving in Chicago some years ago, that's where I'm from, and I went through an intersection and I was in the wrong place at the wrong time because by the time I got out of that intersection, my car looked like this. That's where you just don't wanna be. It happens. I remember hearing a story of a man, his wife was nine months pregnant, their first child, and he was at work when he got the call. She said, babe, I'm going into labor. I need you to meet me at the hospital. This thing is happening. Now him being a typical man, ladies, let's just be honest, he didn't understand how science works in biology because he's thinking, okay, I'm just gonna finish this work project real quick before I head into the hospital. And before he knows it, he shows up the hospital to find out he had missed the birth of his child. Sometimes you're just too late. The timing doesn't work out, but this is what I'm saying. Timing is everything. It can set the trajectory for a company. It can determine the potential of a relationship. It can even determine the outcomes of your very life. Timing. And I'm really excited today because we are going to start our last years of the years. This is our Christmas years. We are calling Promise Fulfilled. Now, we're going to be talking all things Christmas, obviously, these couple weeks, but Everybody here probably has some familiarity with the Christmas story, the birth of Jesus, the wise men. We know some of the details, but there might be a little detail that you haven't really noticed when you read the stories. If you read some of the different accounts of Jesus' birth, you will come across a word that'll pop up many times, actually, and it's this word, fulfilled. Now, all these different authors of Jesus' birth are making this case that at the first Christmas, God followed through on some of the greatest promises he has ever made. And in the next couple weeks leading to Christmas, we're going to look at what are some of the promises that God has actually made us, particularly when it comes around Christmas. And can we even trust these promises? And today we're going to see how important timing is when it comes to the promises and purposes of God in your own life. And so we're going to get after it. We're going to be in Matthew 1 if anybody wants to follow along. But I'm going to kind of set the stage here. We're right now in the first century. It's the Middle East in Israel, and some surprisingly unexpected events start to unfold. There's this teenage girl, Mary. She's from blue-collar family, small-town living. She's engaged to Joseph, who's just a carpenter, same small-town kind of life. And we have to appreciate this, everybody. 
These are simple people. Like Mary and Joseph, they're not looking to make any waves. They're not trying to get on the cover of any magazine. They're not trying to amass millions of dollars. They are looking forward to nice, simple, slow life. But then everything takes a dramatic turn. And Mary finds out that she's pregnant without the help of Joseph, which he has some problems understanding, as you might imagine. He's not exactly that excited about this whole situation. And so he's planning on just shutting the whole relationship down because he's like, clearly my fiance hasn't been faithful to me. But that's when an angel shows up to Joseph and says, oh no, Joseph, do not leave this woman. All right, this is from God himself. And this baby has a name, his name is Jesus. And there is a plan in place that is so much bigger than you. And Matthew sets all these little details up and it leads to this summary statement this declaration that Matthew says in verse 22, he says, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said. Now, I know everybody here basically knows what fulfill means, but for just the sake of us being on the absolute same page, when we talk about fulfilling something, we mean to complete something down to the last detail. It's bringing something to full completion, to achieve it to its supreme end. Everything that was supposed to happen down to the last detail has been accomplished. So we got to ask the question then, what was fulfilled? What did God say that apparently came through? And to unpack this, we actually have to talk about Costco <laughs> to really understand and appreciate what God's doing here. Um, I'm sure all of us have had the Costco experience, right? Maybe some of you are going after church today, which would be a terrible idea, actually. Costco on Sunday, anybody ever try that? Yeah, that's called hell, okay? So, but if you go to Costco, you will come across my favorite part of Costco, which is the sample stations. You ever walk up to all oh, those ladies? I mean, those are angels from God right there handing out free food. Now, this is what's fun about the sample stations. You can actually plan a whole meal at Costco if you place it right and get around. That's how I do lunch sometimes. But we know how this whole thing works when it comes to samples. It's meant to just give you a taste. It's not the whole thing. It's a sample of what's really to come. The fulfillment of the sample is down the aisle where you're gonna pay $20 for you know a couple marshmallows or whatever. That's the fulfillment. You know that's what it is. So where am I getting at with this? Well, Matthew talks about what God's saying being fulfilled. We got to rewind the tape a couple years to appreciate this. So we're going to reverse the tape to 734 BC. And at this moment in time, the nation of Judah, God's people, are being attacked from two enemy nations. And the king at this time, Ahaz, is freaking out. He's like, this is the end. It's the end of my life. It's the end of our nation. It's the end of all of our hopes and dreams. And this is when God comes in the picture and he has a word for Ahaz. He says this in Isaiah 7, verse 7, it will not take place. It will not happen. God makes a promise. Now, Ahaz is struggling to trust this promise, as you might imagine. I mean, his, his very life is on the line right now. So God sees his struggle and God says, okay, I'm going to help you build your faith so you can trust me. And in verse 14, this is it. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign that I'm going to do this. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Now, here's what happens. God actually fulfills this promise to Ahaz. There's a young woman that Ahaz knows who ends up getting married and having a son that she just so happens to name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So God's saying, I'm going to use just that little circumstance of that lady having a baby to remind you that I'm with you, that I'm going to protect you, that I am for you. Now, that is awesome for Ahaz. Yay, Ahaz, right? But what Ahaz didn't even know in that moment is that was just a sample. That was a small taste God was cooking up a whole meal that Matthew said really came about in the first century. Because Matthew says this in verse 22, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. That's Isaiah. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. They will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. This is what Matthew is saying. Oh yeah, there is a child who is born, but this isn't just a child born of a 
young woman who was a virgin at one point. This is a child who is conceived by the very power of God. This is a child who is not just a symbol of God's presence. This child is the very presence of God himself, the true Emmanuel, God with us. And so Matthew says, oh, God made a promise and he fulfilled it in ways beyond any imagination any person has ever had, far exceeding any expectations anybody has ever imagined when it comes to God's promises. So yay God, right? Christmas, Jesus comes. But let's think about this for a minute. If you're paying attention, what year did God make the promise about this kid coming? Did anybody remember the year I gave? 734 BC. What year was Jesus born? 1 AD, give or take, right? Right around that range. So how long did it take for God to fulfill this promise? Not seven minutes. Not seven weeks. Not seven months. Not even seven decades. It took God over 700 years to fulfill this promise. Do you ever feel like God's run a little late? Do you ever feel like God is not exactly operating on the same timeline? Do you ever feel like God is not as concerned about your schedule as you are? Do you ever feel like um, God is not as bothered that your time is limited, even though his isn't? Do you ever wonder if like God is even operating by any deadlines at all? Like, does he have a calendar or something? Uh, last week, I mentioned how uh, my buddy Maurice preached. And if, if you weren't there, there was a portion where he talked about the season that he and his wife went through of infertility, years. And I always feel a particular pain when I hear the stories of infertility for couples because more than maybe even any other challenges people have, that one has a very specific time limitation to it. At some point, you just run out of time. But the window closes. And there's even many times I'll talk to couples in our church who are struggling, or people going through hard seasons, and you have these questions you wrestle through. You ask, like, how long do I give my partner to figure this thing out? At what point do we just cut our losses? How long do I wait for God to maybe intervene and fix this thing? And you start really wrestling through the timing. And for many people, the issue isn't so much trusting the promise of God, it's trusting the timing of God. It's not the what that's really a problem. It's the when. Because you have these moments, you're like, God, when are you going to resolve this issue in my life? God, when are you going to come through with the answer I need? God, when is the direction going to come? Because I feel like I am aimless out here just wasting time. And there's a passage in the Bible, I think, speaks so well to the tension I bet every single person here has faced at some point in your life. Proverbs 13 says, hope delayed makes the heart sick. You get to points in your life where eventually waiting becomes too painful. And that's why there's some of us in this room here, you've decided, you know what? I'm just going to stop praying about it. It hurts too much to be asking God for this because it's been so long. And we eventually just give up on some of the hopes and the dreams and promises because the timing is so painful. Now, when we look at the first Christmas, and we actually look at how God operates through scripture, we see a very important principle for how God works in our lives. And what we must understand today is God's delays are not denials. Now follow me on this. This is big. God feels late sometimes, doesn't he? 
like really late. God's like middle school boy waking up at noon kind of late vibes, right? I mean, he's just has got no plan, it feels like. So, so often, here's what happens to us. We say, okay, God is delaying. This must be a denial then. God's saying no, because otherwise he would have fulfilled this thing by now, like the buzzer's going off. But I want you to see it's actually way more complicated than that. There's way more nuance. This is not a black and white thing. And to illustrate this, I want to look at some of the different stories in the Bible. Uh, Let's think about Joseph for a minute. Pretty well-known character in the Bible. Well, at one point in Joseph's life, he is 17 years old, and God actually gives him a dream. It's a promise for his future. God gives him a picture of influence and involvement in the world that's going to change the course of history. He's going to have so much power and influence that God even gives him a picture of his family bowing down to him. Now, right after these visions, Joseph becomes a slave. Not only that, he gets falsely accused for violating another dude's wife, and he spends the next 13 years of his life rotting away. He loses his teens, he loses his 20s, he's in a prison cell. It feels like his whole life is just wasting away. He has run out of time. Now, at 30 years old, God miraculously opens up a door for Joseph to become the second in command in Egypt, the most powerful nation in the world at the time. And so Joseph spends the next nine years of his life faithfully serving in this role, helping these people in this entire nation. And at that point in time, nine years into this role, lo and behold, his family walks through the door. And it's been so long, they don't even recognize him. And in that moment, they bow down. And the Bible tells us in Genesis 42 what happened to Joseph. It says, then he remembered his dreams. 22 years. 22 years from the promise to the fulfillment It had been so long that Joseph literally forgot about them. He wasn't even thinking about them anymore. Now, Joseph may have forgotten about the promise, but God didn't. And God delayed, but he did not deny. Now, there's another person in the Bible. We got to see how often this is just how God works in our lives. Abraham. Another pretty well-known guy in the Bible. You might know some details of his story. But Abraham and his wife, Sarah, actually are having infertility problems. They can't have kids. The Bible's very clear. And God comes to them and says, hey, you're going to have a kid. You're going to have a son. And so many descendants are going to come from this kid, you won't even be able to count them. Now, you know how old Abraham is when God says this to him? 75 years old. Okay, that's a little past the due date on the milk at that point, okay? That milk is a little stanky by then, okay? Deadline has been passed on many levels. Now, God makes the promise. One year passes. Five years pass. Ten years pass. And eventually, Sarah, his wife, is like, you know what? I think this is taking a little too long. We should probably help God out because it seems like he's kind of forgot. So she's like, Abraham, how about you just take this lady? We'll start getting a family going that way. And, you know, that's what every single one of us does, isn't it? It's like, God, you don't seem to be doing your job very well. This is taking a little too long. So how about I help you fulfill this thing? You know, God, I want to get married. I know you've called me to this, but this is staying a little too long. My biological clock is ticking, so you know what I'm going to do? Let me go look up that old high school flame on Facebook and just kind of see what they were doing. And yeah, they don't brush their teeth and they're on the FBI's most wanted list, but you know, we got to make this thing happen. We got to close this deal. I came across this quote. I thought it was so good. Vincent DePaul, he said, the one who hurries delays the things of God. Here's what is so fascinating. If you look out, look through the entirety of scripture any time someone tries to rush or force the hand of God actually ends up setting themselves back. They create an even more painful delay in their life. And so 15 years pass for Abraham and Sarah. 25 years go by. A quarter of a century. And Genesis 21 says this, Sarah became pregnant 
and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the very, what's that word? Time. God had promised him. Was there a delay? Oh, you better believe there was a delay. Two and a half decades? Are you kidding me? Did God deny him? Absolutely not. Because if God makes a promise, he may delay, but he will never deny. Now, if that's how God works, what does that mean for us? What is supposed to be our posture as we live our lives when it comes to God's promises? Well, this is our responsibility, everybody. We have a call to trust God's timing. This is our responsibility. Look at the Bible actually gives us some glimpses into how Abraham did this, how he was able to wait a quarter of a century for God's promise. Look what it says in Hebrews 6. God made a promise to Abraham. And so after waiting patiently, we all hate that word actually, Abraham received what was promised. Now, God was not operating on Abraham's schedule. Anytime you're waiting, you know you're not on your time. You are officially on God's time if you're waiting because nobody in here actually wants to wait. So anytime you're waiting, you know, okay, God's got a schedule and we may not agree on it, but God definitely is operating by a different timeline. But Abraham trusted God enough to know that it was going to be worth the wait. And so look how Paul talks about Abraham in Romans 4. Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger. And in this, he brought glory to God. He was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises. The issue is never if God will do something. The issue is never if God can do something. The issue is always and only when God is going to do it. Abraham, it wasn't a could or would problem for him. It was purely a when. If God has a promise, timing is truly the only detail. Now, we got to get back to the Christmas story, right? Let's get back to Christmas now. How does this work out then? And what does this mean for us? Well, you enter into the Christmas story and you get introduced to another couple, Elizabeth and Zechariah. Now, Elizabeth is actually a relative of Mary. So all these people know each other, their family and all that kind of stuff. Now, we are told very clearly that Elizabeth and Zechariah cannot have kids. They, again, an infertility problem in their lives. And they are also very old at this point in their lives. And so an angel... We're told his name is Gabriel, actually appears to Zechariah and says, hey, God has a promise for you. You're going to have a kid. You're going to have a son. And this will go on to be John the Baptist. But look at what Zechariah says in Luke 1 to this angel that appears to him. It says, Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife uh, is well along in years. <laughs> Which, you know how you know Zechariah was a really good husband? That right there. That's how you know right there. He's like, God, I'm old. I'm stanky old, milk old. But uh, Elizabeth, she's well along in years. That's a, that's a smart husband right there, right? Careful use of words. But here's the thing. You know why I can relate to Zechariah right here? I can relate. He's just being logical. He's like, um, God, the buzzer went off decades ago. Like time is up. That window closed. We're not even asking for that anymore. Like we gave up on that a long time ago, but look how God responds. This is what he says. My words will certainly be fulfilled at the proper time. I love how the message says it. It's a paraphrase. They say, every word I've spoken to you will come true on time. Whose time? God's time. Whose schedule are we on? Who sets the deadlines? Are you imposing a timeline on God he never agreed to. Have you set a deadline on God that he never said was the date he was committed to? Are you telling God something has to happen because you've decided? Whose timeline are you living by? You know, some years ago, when I was in college, I was honestly just minding my own business. I, I was actually on a scholarship to go to med school. Like, that was the whole plan. Worked really hard for that. And that's, that was like my trajectory. And it was 
while I was in school, when I had a moment of God, I still remember it like it was yesterday, where I felt so strongly that God told me he wanted me to change my whole career plan and go into ministry. I've really felt that. And I have to add some nuance here because there's always a dynamic you have to wrestle through when you're trying to figure out the promises of God. And there is a fine line sometimes between our personal preferences and providential promises from God. Sometimes we really, really want something that God doesn't actually want for us. And it really takes some discernment to figure out, okay, is this just a personal desire or is this like a divine promise? That's a hard thing to navigate. And I didn't have like a verse in the Bible that said, Brian is going to be a pastor one day on this. I didn't have it. But, and I won't go to deal. I really felt like God gave me a vision, like a picture of pastoring a church. I really felt it. And so I felt it so strongly that I changed my major, went down this whole new road, started interning at a church just to figure out what this looked like. Well, as I started going through the years of living towards this promise, there was one moment when it felt like the door opened for me to become a pastor of a church. And I started walking through this opportunity thinking, this is the fulfillment of all the purposes for my life. And the door got slammed so hard in my face that it set my entire family back years. It it was such a devastating disappointment. It it did severe damage to my family. There's so many layers to that story. It, It was horrible. And there were actually two other seasons through this whole ministry journey where I ended up unemployed and it set us back even more. And it was so confusing and so frustrating. And I finally got 12 years in to this entire journey of trying to see this promise fulfilled in my life. And 12 years in, I decided to give up on it. I was just like, I must have missed it. I got this thing wrong. And it was actually three years even after that moment when Nicole and I were attending Northern Hills Church here, sitting right in our spot right there in the second row, just doing our church thing. And it was right around that time when my predecessor, Pastor John Holtorf, invited me out to breakfast right at Gunther Tootie's there in Lark Ridge. And I'm thinking, we're just going to catch up and hang out. And that's when he sat me down and he said, Brian, what would it look like if you were the next lead pastor of Northern Hills? And it was December of 2021, 15 years after the promise, when I became the new pastor of Northern Hills Church. It's just an incredible thing. Now you have to hear, church, I gave up on the promise. I forgot the promise. But if God makes a promise... He never fails to fulfill it. God literally cannot fail to fulfill a promise. He always follows through on every single one, but it's always in his timing. Do you trust God enough to live by his timeline? Are you willing to get on his schedule and wait? because he will fulfill it, but it's always in his time. Now, there's one last little thing I want us to see here, and it's this. God's silence is not a sign of his absence. Now, if you look through the whole Bible, even Isaiah, they give all these promises from God about this future king, this savior who ends up being Jesus. And there's all these other prophets that say, and it's, it's this whole thing. But if you look at the last words of the Old Testament with the promises of Jesus and the moment Jesus actually showed up. You know how much time there is between the last recorded words of God and Jesus showing up? 400 years. Not a single word from God for 400 years. Your spouse doesn't talk to you for four hours. Your friend gives you the silent treatment for a week. Could you, you want to talk about the ultimate silent treatment? 400 years. Some of you are like, how do I figure that out? Can I get on that plan with some of the people in my life? Um, 400 years. Now, you got to wrestle with that. Why would God do that? Like, can't he just sprinkle in a little bit of encouragement while we're waiting? 400 years? Now, I would think about it like this. 
Um, you think about like a dating scene. Uh, if you go on a first date with somebody, that's a whole different dynamic, a first date with somebody. Because you're trying to get to know each other. So there is a lot of talking on a first date, right? Because it's kind of awkward. If, if there's no talking, you're like, maybe we're just not compatible. This is kind of weird. So talking, 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 talking. Well, you run into a couple that's been together for 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years. That's a whole different dynamic, isn't it? You see some couples who've been together for a long time, they're just walking around the neighborhood not even saying a single word to each other. Like, total silence. You come into their house, like, they can go almost a whole day without any real conversation happening. And you look at it, you're like, well, is that because, like, just the fire went out or there's some dysfunction or whatever? I wouldn't say that's always the case. Because the thing that is different about a relationship over a long period of time is a person's very presence is a living witness to a promise. Your presence over decades in a relationship is the fulfillment of a promise you made to that person to give your life to them. And so you don't need as much of the verbal reassurance. Do you like me? Do you not like me? Or do we get along? Because your presence is confirmation of the promise. And so God makes a promise to every single person here. In Hebrews 13, it says this. God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. God's presence is a guarantee of his promises for your life. If God promises never to leave you, his promises will never leave you either. And so whether you hear his voice or not, he says, I am always present in your life, which means my promises are too. Now, God ultimately fulfills this promise at the first Christmas. Matthew says in verse 23, they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. God gives us his presence all the way down to coming to his very creation in human form out of his love for us. So God doesn't just give you words of reassurance. He gives you his very presence. And if you have his presence, you have his promises. And God may delay, but he will not deny. And God may be silent, but he is definitely not absent. Now, we have a couple in our church who have gone on a journey of God's timing, and we just felt like it fit perfectly with um, what we're talking about today. And uh, Pastor Brandon Gustafson is our student pastor, also oversees missions and outreach. His wife, Rachel's an incredible woman at our church. And I just wanted to invite um, them to come in. Rachel couldn't make it because of a conflict, but Pastor Brandon, I'd love to invite him up. Can we give him some love as he comes up here and comes to share with us today? Now, again, we are so excited to have them come. Rachel had a last-minute conflict, but we thought your guys' story was so worth sharing, so we wanted to be able to do it. And we'll get some chairs out here in a minute so we can actually have somewhere to sit. If Solon can help us out for a minute, get it going. But, um, Brandon, even as we're waiting for that, maybe just to get the conversation going, you guys obviously been on a journey. What has this journey of God's timing looked like for you guys? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, first, my wife does apologize for not being able to make it today. Um, but kind of going along with your message, like we've been waiting on God. It has taken a lot of uh, time. We've been on this journey for about six years, almost six years, five and a half to six years, um, trying to start a family. And uh, it, uh, we started with our hopes high. We you know, both come from fairly large families, and we're both excited to be able to go on this journey, to be able to um, figure out what it is that uh, you know, God is going to have in store for our future. Thank you. And uh, so we were excited. We, we had our hopes up and um, month one came, month two came, month three came and, you know, it was just uh, month after month and we uh, started to lose some of that hope. Um, we started to figure out like there's got to be something wrong. And uh, so we went and did some tests and we were like, we got to figure out like, what is it that's going wrong? What, what is it that, uh, you know, is, is preventing us from being able to start a family? And so we took some tests and some of the first tests that came back, we found out that my wife had a tumor. Um, we ended up having to have surgery for and uh, through a couple different surgeries, uh, everything seemed to look up. Everything seemed to be fine, and, and uh, the doctors were like, okay, this is, is going to happen now, and uh, we still continue to go on this journey and, and weren't able to get pregnant. 
So we decided to continue on with the fertility treatments. We were like, okay, let's see if that'll kind of help us a little bit. And, and uh, so we decided to start some fertility treatments. And I remember there was even times that uh, the doctor would come in and say, hold on, before we move forward, you have to sign this paperwork because you're going to have twins or triplets and all for nothing. Um, so we went on this journey. My wife and I have always had a heart for adopting, adoption. And um, just to give you a little context um, and why we had a heart for adoption, um, I guess we've always had a heart for adoption. But, but one of the reasons, at the time I was working at Children's Hospital, I was a counselor um, at, in an uh, inpatient psych unit. And I was there during COVID. Um, and as you guys know, mental health kind of uh, blew up during that time. And a lot of the kids that I dealt with were in for suicidal ideation, depression, anxiety, out of control behavior. And uh, not every case, but there was a lot of many cases where these kids had no home. Their parents abandoned them. Their parents just left them, and then they'd go from group home to group home to group home. And, and uh, my wife, she's a nurse. She's a postpartum nurse, and she loves uh, babies. And so she's, she uh, has, you know, always loved babies. And, and uh, for the most part, everything was, uh, you know, you'd get a mom that uh, everything is pretty normal and everything is fine. Uh, but every once in a while, she'd get a mom that would come in that wants nothing to do with the baby. She was just like, pump me full of some medicine, some drugs, get me out of here. You can do whatever it is that you want with this baby. And, and uh, so we both would work through this just emotional struggle, this uh, heartache of, you know, why is it that we can't have kids when we know we would be better than some parents out there? And so uh, we decided to start the adoption journey, even in the midst of our fertility treatments. We were like, even if God gives us a baby, we still want to adopt. We still have a heart for adoption. And, and God always, you know, like was pressing in our hearts, like, why wait? Why not now? And uh, so we started working through this uh, adoption journey in, uh, about three years ago. And um, in the time, we've talked to about 15 different birth moms. Um, some didn't get very far. But for some moms, we got pretty far into the process. We'd, we'd build a relationship with his mom for five, six months, all to leave us for nothing. So, man, I, I mean, this became a years-long journey for you guys. Can you just let us in on just the emotional, just spiritual journey that you and Rachel went on trying to figure this out? Yeah. Um, talking about an emotional roller coaster. You would start out on highs, be one phone call, and it felt like you just threw yourself off a cliff. Um, we felt like if we took matters into our own hands, if we did our own things, I remember there was this time when we were walking through our fertility treatments a couple days before we took a pregnancy test, I decided to do an absolute fast. I didn't have any food, didn't have any water, I didn't have any TV, phone, anything. I locked myself in a room with a Bible and, and just prayed and, and, uh, for three days, for over 72 hours. And I thought my spiritual act was a resolution to the problem. And we came out of that. Took a pregnancy test with our hopes high, thinking this is going to be it. All for nothing. And so we continued to try to have hope I mean, um, you know, when, when we started this journey, early 20s, now 30s, seemed like everybody around us was getting pregnant, siblings, friends. It was just easy for them. And we had to try to find joy in their celebration and their happiness while mourning something that we wanted that we couldn't have. And I remember even in our adoption journey, we got pretty far in the along in the process with this uh, one birth mom. Uh, we even were hiring lawyers, getting all the paperwork signed and everything um, kind of taken care of on the legal end. It's not just a, a simple process. There's a lot that goes into it. And um, three days before this mom delivered, she changed her mind. Now at that point, Rachel and I were excited. We were trying to get work stuff in order. She was trying to get her work stuff in order. Um, I'm walking, you know, just with this joy of, I'm going to be a dad. I'm going to be a dad. 
and maybe a month, and maybe a couple weeks, and maybe a couple days. We wanted to be ready, so we bought clothes. We were excited. We were on the top of a mountain. We were on a, uh, just overjoyed with our emotions, waiting for the phone call that said, she's in labor, come and pick up your child. All to get a phone call that said she has moved on. And it's like you just jumped off a cliff, is what it felt like to us. And then we had to try to even return some of the clothes that we had bought and, and they wouldn't take them back. And it just left us broken. It left us empty, like, why God? Why us? Why is it that we're going through this? When we know we'd be good parents. You talk a little bit about that why God experience, Brandon. I mean, honestly, how, how were you feeling towards God during some of this? What were some of those even feelings towards him? There was a lot of anger. There was bitterness. There was a lot of hate. I mean, there were, we had a lot of choice words with God and just times where we just left broken. And I remember getting some phone calls on a Saturday, expected to be at church on a Sunday and go and teach these students about the love of Jesus, about the goodness of Jesus, when I didn't feel any goodness at all. And it just left us upset. It left us angry and hurt. Again, like, why God? Why is it that we have to go through this struggle when we know we'd be good? We know we'd be good parents. We know we'd be loving people. And also just this idea that it's like, okay, God, I'm giving up everything to serve you. I could have had a million different jobs at this point. I could have had so many different opportunities. And yet you've called me to do your work for your kingdom for a purpose. So I feel like I'm surrendering myself to you and you can't even give us what it is that we want. And it just left me more angry and angry over time. So this is now, we're talking six years. Fertility, IVF, you know, um, now adoption journey, disappointment, delay, disappointment, delay. You guys end up having an interesting turn in the way things started to unfold. What, what started happening around that time? Yeah, so June, um, just a couple months ago, was the last birth mom that we were working with, um, again, three days before she delivered, and she decided to go a different route. Now, if you, know, if you don't know anything about you know, some of the adoption process, uh, you actually sign a, a contract with the adoption agency, and so we had only had a couple months left of our, uh, of our contract, and so Rachel and I, we really started to have these conversations at the end of June about what it would look like if God never gave us the blessing that we wanted. How would we be okay with that? How are we going to continue to serve him, to continue to pursue him and love him in the midst of not receiving what it is that he has for us? And we had to come to a point of total surrender to Jesus to be okay with not what we wanted, but what God had for us. To remember the blessing that he has for us is so much more than we can ever ask or imagine. So the beginning of July, we're in this season of maybe this is not what God has in store for us and we're gonna be okay with that. We're gonna choose to be able to still surrender, to be able to follow Jesus no matter what. And I remember it was July 9th, it was our six-year anniversary. We were sitting right over here at the uh, nine o'clock service. Solon and the band came out after the message and they finished the, uh, this, the um, service with a song, Miracle in the Works. When my wife got a phone call and little did we know that God had a miracle in the works. This is why I wanted my wife here. 
That way she can cry and I can just sit here. <laughs> His name is Benjamin Cole Gustafson. We got him July 9th at four pounds, six ounces. Happiest little baby. And it's been such a cool experience and joy to be able to have him a part of our life and to be able to see that it was all on God's timing. So I'm curious, man, you talk about a roller coaster ride you guys have been on. And now to see God's fulfillment, you know, of this promise you're carrying in your own hearts. How have you guys changed from this whole experience? Um, there's a lot of changes that we've seen in six years from little things, just being able to have opportunities that we may not have had, may not have experienced, may not have been able to do with Benjamin. Um, honestly, I probably would not be sitting here if it wasn't for, um, for the wait, that with the time period that we had to do. I am a uh, very uh, financially minded person. I try to think of how am I going to best provide for my, my family, for the future of my family. And I think if we would have uh, got a kid when, when we wanted, um, I probably would still be at the same job that I had, even though I didn't like the job, even though that wasn't the, um, it wasn't what God wanted for me. Um, I probably wouldn't be there. I'd just be content and comfortable with like, okay, this is going to financially be the stability that I need for my family and stay there. Um, God taught us a lot of patience, as you can imagine. And let me just say, once you start to figure out, once you think you know patience and God throws you a curveball, you don't know patience. <laughs> you have to relearn it. You have to relive it, to re-experience it. And so God taught us a lot of patience during that time. But I remember even in a season at a time when we were talking to a couple different birth moms and we thought everything was going to go our way again, maybe a couple weeks out from delivery when we got the phone call and, and the mom had gone, you know, a different direction. And it, would left, it just leave me angry and bitterness and, and I would ask God Why? Why is it that we have to go through this? And I would just be so irritated and frustrated. I'm like, God, if, if this is it, then, then I'm out. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go do my own thing. I'll still serve you in a way, but, but, you know, I don't want it. And I remember the spirit tugging in my heart. And he was, and, and the spirit of God was just like, see, that's it right there. He's like, Brandon, when you get your way, you're happy. You'll serve me. But when you don't, you're bitter, you're angry, and you want nothing to do with me. And he took me on this journey and this season of growth in trusting in his timing, trusting in him and to be able to fully surrender his plan for my life and to remember that his blessing for my life is more than anything Benjamin will ever be able to give me. Amen. That's a good word, man. That's a good word. Um, so, man, as we wrap this up, I mean, you can speak with some authority on this topic. I can only imagine for some of us in this room, you're, you're in a waiting season right now. You know, you're waiting to see the fulfillment of promises you feel like God has placed in your heart. What would you say to some of the people that are in that just waiting season right now, the delay and wondering, maybe God's just denying me and saying no. What would you say to some of those people? One of the most interesting and fascinating things about this whole process, we've had so many conversations with people that are just like, how'd you do it? I wouldn't have been able to do it. I would have folded. I wouldn't have been able to you know, continue and pressing on. And there was a moment in time when Rachel realized there was joy in the wait. There was joy in the wait. And we've been able to see so many countless blessings that God has had for us in the wait. It's been so cool to be able to see the people surround us, the people love us, the community and the kingdom of God be able to surround their love on us to be able to pray for us and support us and just to know that, we, that we've got people. And in our darkest seasons, when we were frustrated the most, you'd get that one text message 
that one phone call, it changed everything. Where we knew people do love us. People are praying for us. People want what's best for us. And I think in the, in the waiting, one of the other things that I would encourage and challenge people with, something that I held on to for many years, was this quote by this French pastor who lived back in the 1800s. And he said this, he said, if God gave me his power for 24 hours, you would see the changes I would make in this world. And I believe that. I was like, man, God, if you can just give me your power, in 24 hours, I'd have five kids. I would solve world hunger. I would cure cancer. I'd cure diseases. But he finishes that quote with this. He says, but if God gave me his wisdom too, I would leave things just as they are. Because the wisdom of God will be able to surpass all knowledge and understanding that any of us here will ever have. And as we trust the wisdom of God, we will be able to have opportunities just like this to be able to share a story with somebody that will ripple effect and ripple effect and ripple effect more than I can ever imagine. Amen. Amen. Can we thank Pastor Brandon for that? Thank you so much, brother. Oh, awesome job, man. Well, church, God made a promise, and it took 700 years, but he fulfilled it, because God fulfills every single promise he makes. He may delay, but he will not deny, and Christmas is a reminder that God's timing is perfect, because even 2,000 years ago, Jesus showed up at just the right time to live in this world, die on our behalf and make a way for our forgiveness from sin and to give us the hope of eternity. And so church, I want this to be our posture. I want this to be our heart and our response to what we've heard today. Hebrews 10 says this, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. Do not give up in the delay. Hold on to the hope because at the proper time, God fulfills every single promise. And we have a song, this is a song that actually Solon wrote that I think fits so well with the heart and our posture I want us to have. So I want to advise, we're going to worship God as we close today. If you guys will stand, we're going to sing this one out together. Thanks for tuning in to this week's message. If you would like to learn more about Northern Hills, you can go to nhills.org. You can also follow us online on Facebook, YouTube, or Instagram for more updates and events. We look forward to seeing you next week.